Welcome to the Tag Your It Podcast. I'm Ray Ray, and here we are with the fourth session of the God and Government Conference featuring Senator Mike Moon, who is the newly elected state senator for the 29th District, who previously represented the 157th District in the House from 2013 to 2020, speaking on honoring Christ in the legislature. Well, I'm tickled to be here, and it was kind of neat. When I walked in, I saw several familiar faces, and I'm not sure exactly where they are right now, but uh, good to see y'all. And uh, thank you for inviting me today. Uh, I probably won't take as long. Uh, the three hours that they gave me is, was just a little bit too much. Four. Four, maybe three and a half. Go there, maybe. Um, I was born in North Carolina, uh, you probably know Dale Earnhardt. That's my only claim to fame. He was born in Kannapolis as well. And um, I remember when I was eight years old, uh, just finished the first grade, walked into the kitchen, and it's just like it was yesterday, and I learned that my dad was leaving, and I was heartbroken. I, I could not understand what was happening. I remember tears streaming down my, eye, my face, and, and I remember asking the question, who am I going to play with? because he was my best friend. Well, a month or so passed by, and to my surprise, our family was packing up and moving to Virginia to join my dad, who had left home about a month ago to take a job, and I was thrilled. When, when we got to Virginia, mom and dad both worked six days, and they took the, uh, the biblical directed from God, his example, to rest on the Sabbath. Now, they didn't practice it exactly like the Lord had planned, I don't think, because they weren't really honoring the Sabbath. They were just resting. And at some point in time, uh, someone came from a church not far away, and uh, the bus captain had asked mom and dad, maybe both, I don't remember the conversation, asked if they wouldn't mind if they took our, uh, their children to church. Now, I had two older sisters, it was, a, at that time, a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old, and two younger brothers, a two- and a one-year-old. And the one-year-old was still in diapers. Mom and Dad agreed. So here we go off to church with um, my older sisters and two younger brothers in tow, and I can remember vividly my oldest sister, 11-year-old, with my youngest brother on her hip. And I don't remember exactly how long passed by, but... Apparently, mom and dad became interested in what we were hearing, too. And one by one, dad and mom, my sisters and I, and eventually my younger brothers and brothers um, chose to follow Christ. Now, I'd like to tell you that it's been an easy road, but it hasn't. And I haven't followed him the way I should all the time. But that, that was the beginning. And then long about uh, after graduating uh, high school, I met Denise about 42-ish years ago, and of course, you heard we married and have children, grandchildren now, and that's, that's really kind of neat, too. Um, when I first got elected, after spending 27 or so years at uh, St. John's and then Mercy, this was kind of a neat story, but I'm going to take time now. Maybe, maybe you'll hear about it later, about what happened with the transition from the hospital to the legislature. But as I began to think about what I should be doing as a legislator, I looked at the Bible and found uh, Esther, which is a good example. Daniel, though, 
was one that uh, I've really tried to mimic a little bit and really hadn't been a perfect thing because oftentimes I'll get an agenda and I'll go off on a tangent and forget about really what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's where you come in partially, and I'll tell you that maybe at the end. When you look at Daniel's life, you know, the, the, uh, the governors that they had, and Daniel was one of them, tricked the king into making a law that nobody could pray to anyone except the king for a period of time. Well, when Daniel found out about it, you know what he did. Look at chapter 10, I think it is, verse 6, and he said, he went back to his place, the windows were open, and what did he do? He prayed. And of course, the governors were spying on him, and I guess maybe they figured what was going to happen, but anyway, they, they had him arrested and thrown the lines in, and you know the rest of the story. I think it's important to remember <clears throat> when we look at what we should do, and um, this comes into the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but the first thing he did was not go out on a tangent and do something in, in the flesh, but he called upon the Lord, and he was ultimately protected. We'll see a lot of things that are happening today that I would imagine, and I include myself in this too, that I really haven't followed the plan the way it should be. I don't always seek the Lord in every instance, and that's not good. I'm hoping, though, that as I continue to get older, I'll be much wiser, and that'll be my first, uh, my first action, is to call upon the Lord and ask him what he wants me to do, because I have found a lot of times I've done thinking they're right, and they don't have good end results all the time. And even still, some of the things that I do, even when I'm calling upon the Lord, it might not be the answer that he's wanting to fulfill my desires at that time too. So I, I think we have to, to live with that as well. So shifting gears just a little bit, what should we do, no matter what profession we're in, to honor the Lord in all we do? Uh, what should our actions be? And I'm thinking from the legislature particularly, uh, there are a lot of challenges, a lot of things that go on that I believe should not happen and occur, but they do because we're human, and I, I recognize that we all want some type of recognition. When it's in the legislature, it's, uh, you know, I, I want to get my bill passed. I want to be recognized as the one who did this or that. And I think it happens in our daily life, too. We want to be recognized for the efforts we're putting in, the work we're doing, and the good we're doing. That's human nature, but we all know that um, there's a reward for us who trust the Lord, and uh, we, we can get a, a reward here on earth, or we can wait for, for that heavenly reward. But no matter what we do, Colossians 3 says, that whatever we do, work heartily as unto the Lord. I know when I, when I worked for the hospital, that thought would come to mind often because I didn't always have the best attitude and things wouldn't go my way sometimes. You know how, at least in my flesh, I often want to seek revenge, which isn't the right way to do it, but yet I attempted to do that too. But as often... As long as I put my focus on working for the Lord, it takes on a new, a new, um, a whole new act because if you're just working from eight to four, nine to five, or whatever it is, just looking for the paycheck, of course you get the monetary reward, 
But I'm not sure if that pleases the Lord actually either, at least not fully. And when we see, when we have people look at us, knowing the work we're doing, and our attitude is different, and we're not trying just to please uh, ourselves and to get whatever recognition we can get out of it, often that will draw people to us. And then we have an opportunity to share why we act the way we do. I remember one time, a long time ago, there was this, there was this woman when I was at the, the hospital who was kind of a, not really a thorn in the side necessarily, but she was um, <clears throat> kind of hard to get along to because it was just someone who would grate on your nerves after a while. And I remember working with this lady for a, a pretty significant amount of time, and <clears throat> someone came to me afterward and said, how did you do that? I said, what are you talking about? Well, how did you spend all that time with that person knowing how irritating it can be? And so that opened an opportunity to share, well, you know, um, my work is not really for me necessarily, it's for glorifying the Lord. And that does come about occasionally. It doesn't happen all the time. But anyway, there are opportunities out there to share why we do what we do. It also talks about um, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That comes from Ephesians 4. That one is often pretty difficult for me too because there are times in the legislature particularly that you have expectations, some high expectations, and they don't always work out the way you thought. There was a bill, House Bill 2540 was the number, about four, maybe five years ago. It was supposed to be the largest tax cut in Missouri's history. And when the author of the bill presented it to about 10 of us, he went through all the, the particular parts, and one was a, um, a cut in the corporate tax from six and a half, I think it was, to six and a quarter. Minuscule. And so I, I presented that I think we need to eliminate the corporate tax because it's really a, just a, another tax that often business owners will pass that on to the consumers anyway, so it's a double tax on the, uh, on the people at large. And he replied, well, file an amendment. I, I took that as a green light. And in the legislature, I learned pretty quickly that if you're going to amend someone's bill, it's, good, it's a good idea to get their permission so that they will uh, not be blindsided. So that was my open door. I filed the amendment, and when the bill came up for debate, <clears throat> when it was called up, I stood up. And when you, in the legislature, you stand oftentimes in the Missouri House, you wave your arm with maybe a piece of paper in it so that they can see you because it's a fairly large chamber and you want to, to be able to be seen. And so I stood, and I stood, and I stood. About four hours later, the bill was called for a vote. And you can imagine, I was not very happy. In fact, I don't know when I'd been more angry than that at that time. And I walked back to the floor leader who stood over in this, this side of the building. And I said, did you not see me standing? for nearly four hours to be called upon. And he shrugged his shoulders and he pointed up to the dais. 
So I walked up to the dais right in the middle, and they're, they're sitting way up here, probably um, a little bit higher than this on the floor. And I said, did you not see me standing for more than four hours? He pointed back to the floor leader, and I knew I had been had. I kind of recognized it before, but I really don't think I'd put two and two together. Everything in the Missouri House, at least up to that point, was scripted. It's like a play. And if you're not written in to have a part in that particular day, you may as well stay home. Well, I paced around the chamber for I don't know how long. I was, I was fuming. And I went to the place that I stay that night, and I tossed and turned. And I remember at one point, the Holy Spirit reminded me of Matthew 18. And I thought, oh, no. Even though I was grateful to a degree, I thought, oh, I've got to face these people again. And so the next morning, I got up, got to the Capitol early, about 7 o'clock, and I started going to the offices of the people that were involved. There were three, and no one was there yet. So I continued walking around the hallways, and all of a sudden, out of one office, the gentleman that I was wanting to talk to came out. When he saw me, he threw up his hands and said, okay, let me have it. And I said, look, I'm not angry at you particularly, but the process that we have going on is just wrong. He tried to explain it, but I was grateful to him that he at least listened. And because of that interaction, we became a little bit better friends. We weren't as close as we could have been, but we were a little bit closer. Well, I went to the next office. Excuses were made as to why the actions that he took were done. And I went to the other third office, and the fellow didn't even have the courtesy to look me in the eye. And I realized then that um, it was a big game. Nothing that I could really change by myself, but um, it, it's, there's a problem, and I think you need to know about it. So I wrote in my capital reports what was taking place and, and eventually what might be able to, to be done about it. So <clears throat> I guess part of the, the thing I wanted to let you know is that not just with the Missouri legislature, but all throughout life. We have character-building um, events that happen all the time. And oftentimes we wonder, well, why in the world is that supposed to happen like that? I believe, though, if, if we are trusting in the Lord with all our heart and not leaning on our own understanding, he will direct us, certainly. And also, at some point in time, I think it's going to make sense, maybe when I get to heaven, some of the things come, become a little bit more, more clearly uh, clearer to me now uh, than they were before. And then he also has um, put some plans in my mind that all of them haven't come to fruition yet, but here's one that did. Um, you know, the scripture talks about humility. Here's one thing in Ephesians and Colossians, I believe, and um, in Romans particularly, it talks about what we do, we should do it with, uh, with a humble heart. Hard for me to do. Um, Denise is here, and she's probably got things running through her mind. Yeah, that's not exactly right. I'm pulling your leg. But there are times, certainly. And I'm sure we could all point to things in our own lives that uh, we might want to, to change. With, um, with the, the, um, the desire to be praised, want to pass a bill, we want to be recognized at work. We want to be awarded things for the efforts that we've taken. I think we all have something in our, 
uh, in our own hearts that we want to do that. But for me, I'm, I'm telling you, it's something that I need to try to, to stay away from because uh, I, I think it was Reagan who said, you can do just about anything you want as long as you don't care who gets the credit. There is some truth to that. And, uh, and I think it honors the Lord too when we don't have to always be at uh, the pinnacle of everything because he's the one that we should be bringing glory to. Um, again, though, because of my sin nature, I don't always do that. In uh, Peter, First Peter, it talks about being subject to the masters that we have here on earth and be respectful, uh, not only to the good and gentle, but also, also to those who are unjust. In the Missouri House particularly, and I imagine that's going to happen in the Missouri Senate too, there are going to be some people that I really don't respect a whole lot. But they've given, been given places of authority, and I need to honor that. But I don't have to honor the things that they do that are not holy and uh, pleasing to the Lord. And with regard to one of the actions that we can take is um, one of the books you won was the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate, a good book, got some good, solid principles in there. And one of the principles it talks about, the overarching principle, is, is the civil authorities take an action, whether they pass a bill or an ordinance at the local level, or even the Supreme Court offers an opinion that is unjust and maybe even borders on evil, then it's our responsibility as lesser magistrates to take it upon ourselves to correct that action. Now, you probably realize this already, but I want to encourage you, when you elect someone to office, whether it be the dog catcher or the governor or whomever it might be, that you don't forget that you have a responsibility to each one of those to, hold, to help them and keep them accountable to toe the line that they've been called to do. That look it takes a lot of different looks, though. I mean, how, how, do, you keep, how do you help someone and call, require them to do what they said they're going to do? Well, oftentimes it's just developing a relationship with them. A thought came to mind. I met, you might have heard of a guy named, um, um, now I forgot, Jack Hibbs. Thank you for reminding me. Jack Hibbs is a pastor in Chino, California. I've listened to him on the radio for a year or so, and I had the opportunity to meet him last November at a conference. He told us at that conference that he had over 14, still has over 14,000 people attending his church every Sunday morning, even during this so-called pandemic in California. And I said, well, how do you do that? Well, he said, we, we develop relationships with the mayor and the councilman and all those in our area, the, the commissioners. And so we had a good rapport with them. And when all this started coming about, they were sort of okay with us doing what we were going to do because we already had that relationship built and it wasn't seen as a defiance, which it really was to the ordinance that took place. They were defying the ordinances, but they got away with it. So I would encourage you, if you haven't already, know who your elected representatives are and at the local level, the state level, if you possibly can. And if you make it up to the Capitol, I can introduce you to the governor if you want to, to, to meet him. And um, I would be inclined, maybe not on the first time you meet them, but at some point in time, write them a little note, thank them for what they're doing, for their service, and then say, I'm watching you. 
And then when they step out of line, kindly pick up the phone or a note or an email that's really easy to do and say, you know what, I saw what you did here and maybe I don't understand it. So please help me understand why you did this or that. Let them have an opportunity to, to respond. And if they're wrong, tell them, you know what, this is not acceptable. And I hope that you'll take action to correct what you've done. And if they continue to defy what you're wanting them to do, let them know in no uncertain terms that you're going to work to defeat them in their next election. And that will, may get their attention. Here's something that makes it even more work on your part, but it's extremely effective. I call it political pain. It's not the term that I came up with. But no politician likes to be called out, especially in public, for doing something that they said they were going to do and that now they've actually uh, acted contrary to what they promised to do. Uh, there have been times where there have been town halls or other public gatherings at picnics in the summer or whatever, and that particular politician is going to be present, and you have strong evidence that they have lied. Well, put together a simple flyer. You can type that up on your word processor, your computer, print it out, get a lot of people to go with you, or as many as you can, and when they get up to start to speak, or even if you don't speak, you can start putting those, those flyers in the people's hands so they know this politician is saying one thing, and they're not doing it. And if they continue this, we need to unelect them. That will get the politician's attention. They, they won't like it. They'll probably be angry with you. That's part of the process. So hold your ground and make sure that, that they know that someone's paying attention. Because I tell you what, the first, well, probably even seven or eight years that I was elected, I had in my county maybe a dozen people who were paying any attention at all. I probably could have said anything I wanted to when I came back home to talk to them. They wouldn't have known the difference. So pay attention. And I know you're working, caring for your, your uh, income and your family, but take some time to, I wouldn't suggest watching the news, but you can, you can, you can subscribe to their capital reports. That's when they usually send out a weekly or a um, bi-weekly or whatever newsletter so that you can find out what they're doing and then communicate with them and let them know that you got your eyes are on them. That's, that's one good way to do that. So that is in part holding or um, implementing the, the doctrine of a lesser magistrate. When you get to things like the Supreme Court, you, you all know the ruling from 1973 that said that um, women have the right of conscience to end the life of a developing human baby within their body? Like, where in the world did they get that? They pulled it out of thin air. Because you can look at, if, even if you're going on case law and precedent, there was nothing there that would give them the authority to do what they did. And to his credit, the uh, Supreme Court justice who wrote the opinion said that if there ever came a time where it was proven when life begins, the court would have to revisit it. Well, we were long past that. It's, it's known by most anyone who wants to know that life begins at conception. And anytime you, you end a, a developing human life from that point on, you're committing murder. So it's, it's way past time that we put something in front of the Supreme Court. Now, I'm going to give you a downside to this too. Because you know we've got, what, three, uh, three new Supreme Court justices in the last couple of years and that's supposed to have the, the most pro-life 
Supreme Court now in over 50 years at least. Well, you remember when Roe v. Wade was decided? Seven of those justices who, de who decided in favor of ending human life were Republican appointees. That'll make you think, won't it? Doesn't matter which label you wear. And I'm, I'm it's not really concerned. I just have doubts that if we put a bill like that in, or a case in front of the Supreme Court today, I don't know that they would overturn it. That's sad to say, but I don't think they would. Now, what's the plan from there? I'm going to have to tell you, I don't have a clue. But I believe that if Joe Biden is inaugurated as the president, I want you to keep in mind that the president only has jurisdiction over the governors, essentially, and foreign policy and treaties and things of that sort. Just like Article I, Section 1 of the Missouri Constitution states that only the legislature can create law, and that is a Senate and a House, the president doesn't create law. Oh, but wait, we allow them to create law through executive orders. And we just say, well, that's the way it is. I'm not saying you, you yourselves, but we collectively as a nation. The states have to stand up and say, enough is enough. So this is going to be a test for Missouri and the other 49. 30 states are probably in pretty good stead with their, um, their majorities. But it's just like the majority in the Supreme Court or who appointed them. I don't put a lot of trust in state legislatures. We've had opportunities in Missouri to do some good things. But yet there's evil presence around somewhere that, whether it's intentional or what, I, don't, I, I guess I could say it is evil. We're not willing to exercise our state sovereignty and to say this is what's good for Missourians and this is what we're going to do and stand on that principle. So that's where you come in again. You have to hold us accountable. And if there's enough of those who are electing us that will hold us accountable, that's going to make a big difference. I haven't had experience in the Senate enough yet to know how many calls we're going to get on a regular basis. In the House, it was few. And I've been told that five phone calls will change a legislator's vote. If that's true, what would happen if each of you adults made a call once a week or twice a month? Probably make a difference. I would recommend that you call your representative and your senator as opposed to crossing those lines. But you probably know people in other districts you could encourage to do the same thing and you could build some momentum. You could have uh, a weekly distribution of phone calls. Find the topic that you are most interested in and passionate about and stay on top of it. And uh, I, I bet you'd have some success. If that five calls holds true, who knows what you could do. One other point about that is that when you elect someone, you haven't given up any of your authority. I hope, you, I hope you've heard that before, but if you haven't, look into it. When you elect someone, you still retain 100% of the authority that you had before that person was elected. You're just loaning them your authority for a period of time. And so if, if an elected official gets on a high horse and says, I'm the official, you're just 
a peon. You beg to differ and let them know that you're the, you're the one who, who's the boss and you, can, you should be able to control their actions. Now, they could have an argument, well, you're just one person. That's when the numbers come into play. If you have enough people with the same viewpoint as you do, you can hold them accountable. We just need to exercise that. And that goes back to, we're all busy. We've got things to do. And I, I can tell you firsthand, if I weren't in the Senate now, my concentration would be on other things too. I remember my middle son, David, though. He is now 24, is that right, Denise? 24. And um, he was helping his campaign for our second run for the U.S. House. And one day I was in a different part of the house. He hated politics, by the way. He said, I hate this. And I didn't force him to help us, but anyway, he, he uh, participated willingly, at least I thought. One day he was standing at the TV, and I was in another part of the room, and the news was on, and he was yelling, they can't do that. They can't do that. I thought, what's up with him? So I went and asked, and I forgot what the issue was. But he said, well, they can't do whatever they were trying to do. And I said, so what are you going to do about it? And I think the light bulb came on. And the point I want to make is you can hate politics with a passion. But politics or something political is going to affect you nearly every day of your life whether it's the taxes, the regulations, whatever it might be. So take just a little time as you're budgeting your time every week and look at the current events. Find out what's happening and then make a plan to get involved. Now, although I mentioned a little while ago that you need to be subject to the rulers and authorities, I'm a rebel at heart. And after about six years in the house, I realized that if we continue doing the same old thing every year and, and beyond, nothing's going to change. There's a habit of uh, every year there's a freshman class coming. There's about 50 of them this year. And whoever the majority is, they'll have someone picked out to be the heir apparent speaker. And I learned in short time that the speaker really is the king. So unless you bow kiss the ring, and be subservient to a degree, it's like not being recognized and being written in the script. You may as well stay home. And so I was consulting with some folks over the years about what we could do to make a change where every individual, 163, had some voice as opposed to two or three in the leadership positions. And it all comes down to the rules of the house. And so I devised a plan that would change, I think it was five different rules we had, and it was to divest the speaker of, of his authority and power and the floor leader of his authority and two rules committees where they're just kind of a backlog of another way that the speaker can kill bills just to hold them up. And there was a, a couple of other things in there. So I started making uh, personal visits to people. I had to be really careful because in the house, if you talk to the wrong person, and it gets back to the king, you're toast. And so I was really careful for about a year. And then about December, I realized I was running out of time. And I had to, to pull the, the trigger and just unveil the plan because we only had a month before we'd be back in session. And the first week in January or early the second week, you'd vote on the rules. 
And so I sent an email out to the leadership, knowing full well they probably wouldn't like it because the heir apparent speaker would say, well, okay, I guess I'll give up my authority because Moon wants to make sure that we all have a voice. Well, that didn't happen. Instead, I started getting attacked. And they're not, you know, real hard attacks, really, but um, they were attacks nonetheless. And so we got to the, the day before the rules were to be taken up on the floor, and we had a caucus. And a caucus is just a meeting of the Republicans. The Democrats do the same thing. We got together, and I thought, well, I guess I ought to reveal the plan one more time. And so I did. I was attacked again, this time from leadership. Only had one other member who got up and halfway defended me. Now, I thought I had about 60 votes before that day, and I needed 82, a simple majority. I walked out of that kind of like a dog with his tail between the legs and thinking, okay, what do I do now? And I thought, I've been working for nearly two years on this. If I quit now, well, it's just a blip on the the page and nobody's going to ever know it. And so I went ahead with the plan the next day. Now, this time we had about 35 freshmen. Many of them didn't know me from Adam, didn't know if I was telling the truth or blowing smoke. And so when I presented the, um, the rules, I was attacked again, opposed by other Republicans, and uh, all the, the um, amendments to the rules failed. And I was, I was kind of defeated because I thought, you know, of all these things that go on from year to year, and people say, you know, I feel like I'm not getting anything done, and we need to have some changes. Well, this was a substantive change where they would have had a voice again, or for the first time, maybe. So within two weeks, though, some people came to me and said, you know what? You were right. And I remember one person, this is what's the most disappointing thing to me of all. This, this fellow was a strong believer in the Lord. And he would come to me saying, you know, I feel like I'm beating my head up against the wall and I'm just so frustrated. He knew what I was doing. And he came after the rules had failed, talking about how we were so frustrated again. And I said, you know, we had a chance and you didn't take it. So I don't want to hear it anymore. And it was too late. But I'm hopeful that maybe in future legislatures they will do something. This time they've already voted on the rules. There were some amendments that were offered. They were all shot down. But I want you to know some of the inside games so that you can kind of know the, the, the game that's played. And if someone says, well, we can't do anything, I'll tell them you can change the rules. There are procedural things that can be done. And you can actually restore your voice. And that way you will have a stronger voice too when your representative can, can get up and make uh, a plea for what you want them to do. One last thing I want to leave you with, and this is probably the most important. This happened about five years ago, I, I think. I woke up one Thursday morning and, and made my way to the Capitol. When I got there, it was almost as if I was in just a, a black fog. I couldn't, I couldn't really pinpoint it, at least initially. But I was so depressed and I remember thinking to myself, if, if we had to refile for office today, I wouldn't do it because I just don't want to have any part to do with this place anymore. Well, I remember going home that Thursday afternoon and told Denise about it, and we had some time in prayer, and by Monday, I was okay. Two weeks later, 
there was a group that came to my office, and for some reason, that, that memory came top of mind, and I just told them what, what had happened. And one in the group said, did you say that was two weeks ago? I said, yeah. And she said, we were praying for you specifically two weeks ago. And I thought, wow, what an affirmation from the Lord. He knew exactly what I needed, knew where I was spiritually and emotionally and mentally. And he had people out there that were listening to his promptings. And they took it upon themselves to pray. So I want to encourage you, whether it's for me or whether it's for another brother or sister, if the Lord brings that person to mind, you may not know what's happening in their life. Go to the Lord, though, and just ask him to care for them at that time. Um, if it's me, I would really be grateful for you praying for me. I want that if you feel inclined to do so. But in any case, there are lots of things happening. This year, if, again, the presidency takes on the shape that we think it will, it's going to be important for us to stand our ground because religious liberty is um, it, it's on the, the chopping block. And if we allow our state, which I don't think it's going to happen in Missouri, I'm hopeful that it won't. If we allow things that are happening in other states, though, to take place in Missouri, then we're going to have like the Chinese underground church. I've been to China, and I've been to the underground church. You know what they told me one time when I was there? They said they were praying for the, the persecution of the American church, and I thought, why would you pray for that? But then as I realized, outside the three-self church, the government doesn't really uh, allow it. I mean, they can go to prison for being a part of the underground. At that time, I'm not sure if it's still true, the Chinese underground church was the fastest-growing church in the world. Maybe still are. So as much as I don't like pain, maybe it's time we suffered some persecution. I don't know. Um, I, I think the, the Lord is interested, though, in being a part of our lives and our activities. We have to remember, though, we work for him, not the reverse. And so, and, and that speaks to me too. I, I need to remember that every day. That was, that was kind of my wrap up there. So I, I just want to encourage you. Get involved. Know who your elected uh, representatives and senators are locally too. Get a relationship with them, even if you just say hi once. And encourage them. Get on their email list and hold them accountable. Hold me accountable, even though I'm not your... Maybe not. I think some. Yeah, uh, you're in my district. But um, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to, to be encouraged by you, held accountable by you, if that's the case too. But uh, whatever the case, get to know them, hold them accountable, and uh, that's it.